And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell He scores the ball and he rebounds well Don't fight the future, honey Don't fight the future The future is Luca. The timing sucks cause the Mavs are ass But did you see his no-look pass? Whoa! Don't fight the future, honey Don't fight the future The future is Luca. Welcome to 77 Minutes, the Dallas Mavericks podcast Part of the Athletic Podcast Network I'm Tim Cato I talk, write, do things about the Mavericks We've got uh, the full, the full cast The normal cast Dave Dufour, Mike Bellucci How are you guys? Better than this time a week ago. I was uh, I was suffering from vaccine day vaccine shot number two and day number two, and I was uh, I was feeling about as bad as the Mavericks looked a week ago. So, but I'm here now. Mm. I feel mostly good, which I feel like is how the Mavericks mostly look after a couple wins against the Lakers before that dud last night. Uh, so yeah, I'm here. How are you, Dave? I, I'm good. I I feel like I could use a game against Andre Drummond though, because then yeah. I look really good. True, 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 true. (laughs) Maybe two games against Andre. (laughs) You know, if I really want to look good. Uh, It's kind of a shame that didn't happen right before the trade deadline, I think. Wait, what's that? Your salary gone through the roof. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Great. I I see. Yeah, it was a, it was a, I think a good week for, for the, uh, for, for the team, all things considered. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, they lost to Sacramento again with half of a team. Do either of you guys have anything to say? Because I really don't. It's just it's it's the it's same, the same thing we've old. Seen. It's the same yeah. old shit, man. It, look, they play down to the competition. Um, it, it feels like they don't care about games against bad teams, even though those are the ones that are going to actually get them into the playoffs. Uh, they get a slow start, and then just that's it. They're stuck in mud. And you know, you look at the Kings game, and and what was it, twenty to three? Is that how the game started? Something like that. That sounds right. Roughly. And they just couldn't ever recover. So, you know, and it doesn't help that the injury stuff is, is, you know, continues to be an issue, but everyone is dealing with it. Darren Fox wasn't in the game. Yeah, for that's the thing. Like, I mean, we're bringing up them not playing with, you know, with several players, but the Kings without Darren Fox, I don't care. Harrison, <laughs> Harrison Barnes was, was cooking and had to leave the game <laughs> and it didn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just don't know what else there's. I mean, we can't, they can't make any trades. There's no, you know, the buyout thing is over. Uh, I think this this is just who they are, which is wildly inconsistent. Beyond beyond the inconsistency that comes with the, de- the defense against worse teams, and why do they make shots, or why do they not make shots against uh, worse teams? It, it does it does feel like with the Kings game, you can look at it and say you should have lost, you should have found a way to win. You also missed a lot of shots. I mean, it, at this point, I'm not. I'm not even saying that as a defense. It's just it's just a weird that that the trend seems to be that it's it's against those teams that for some reason they 
you know, just kind of go through these these slumps. And, you know, maybe maybe the explanation is just that they are still a bad three-point shooting team, all things considered. They're still bottom half of the league, and they're still dead last on wide open shots uh, in terms of percentage. Um, maybe maybe that number is bumped up, but as of a few days ago, they're still dead last in the league. And, and that that wasn't one, something if you if you just, you know, if you look at just a month, if you just look at the past month or something, it's not like they've been any better during that that period of time either. There's no trending up that's happening in terms of their shot making. No, and meanwhile, uh, you know, shout out to friend of the program, uh, the great Bobby Corrala, who pointed out in the last 11 games, uh, opponents are shooting 38.5% from three against this team. Uh, so you're not making shots. They are making shots. That is irrespective of who you are playing. Sacramento hit a bunch of threes against the last night. They can't guard the perimeter very well. They can't make shots from the perimeter. They can beat any team on any given night. They can lose to any team on any given night. That is a recipe for a slightly above average team. Probably an average team, but you have the best offensive player in the game now, so you are a slightly above average team, and that's just It's a not quite good team that has Luka Doncic. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's it. And and when you factor in the, the, you know, we were saying before the show, right, like just the way the season is going at large, not just for Dallas, but for everyone – in a sample of any three or four games, either the Mavericks are missing someone crucial or the other team is missing someone crucial. It feels like three out of those four every time. So I don't even really know what I'm taking from these regular season games. I think we know what this team is. I think we know what they're going to look like going into the playoffs. The only question is, do they escape the play-in tournament or do they not? And if they don't, you could look back on things like yesterday because that's a game they should win. You know, they've got the Warriors tonight, right? Like they are actually in charge of their own destiny to a certain degree because Portland, you know, we all have been waiting for the regression from Portland, especially in the late game stuff. Like they just won so many games that they shouldn't have won. And that's starting to happen now. Dame doesn't look healthy. It's really in the Mavericks' hands. They just have to beat the bad teams in front of them, like the Warriors. But, you know, Steph Curry is Steph Curry. How do you, who, how are they going to guard him? What is it, Dorian Finney-Smith? No, they can't. But if there is a game that I would think they get up for, this is this is that game. Not necessarily because of the standings, but because it is the Warriors still have cachet. Steph has obviously been just bananas the last month. I feel like they're going to get up for it. Certainly Luka, when he pull, sees a big name on the schedule, and Luka brings it every night anyways, but it feels like he especially brings it when he sees someone big. I see a, I see a face from Dave right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, he Luca is at the point where bringing it doesn't necessarily matter. If you look at the numbers, mm-hmm. he he can he has gotten to the LeBron level. He can just hit the numbers. Yeah. Does that mean he brings it every night? I I don't know about that. He certainly yeah, is going to bring it in the playoffs every night. I, that's not a question. I, I'm not worried about Luca. That's the last guy I'm worried about. Whether he brings it or not against Sacramento Kings does not matter because I know he's going to bring it against the Clippers in the first round of the playoffs. I guess my answer to that, because it's a fair point, it's a key distinction I think we should make. I would say that even on the lesser nights, he brings it to enough of a level where he is very rarely, if ever, the problem. And far more often, he is the reason that they are staying in these games. So even not peak Luka is still, if they drop a game, you're not going to be pointing the finger at Luka Doncic. That's generally how I feel yeah, about the way it's Yeah, because his floor is like third team all NBA or something. Right. <laughs> like, so, you know, oh, I don't I feel mean... great. Here's 35, <laughs> 7, and 7. Yeah. And, and that's exactly it. Like at this point, we're debating, you know, how much right. to, to what level Luca brings. It's why it we don't talk a, about him on much. a Tuesday night. Um, and it, well, I, I mean, I mean this for the whole team. I, there's nothing left to learn about them until they get to the playoffs, until they get to the postseason. You know, barring 
them winning out or losing out or something dramatic like that. I just I find it very hard to believe that any opinion I have about this team is going to change dramatically based off anything that happens in in the closing you know closing three weeks ish of the of it's the regular season. A little over because two. Is is it? It's it's coming quick. It's coming quick. It's like eleven because, or twelve games. Because again, we God. watched this team last season. I, I wrote this after the Lakers game, trying to try to balance the nuance of okay, you know, it's a high right now. You, there's going to be another low coming soon. I mean, this this team is functionally the same team that we saw last year that should have won more games, and and they could have won more games this season, and they could have beat the Clippers last season in the first round uh with with some more health uh part of that a, a big part of that was the clippers and you know the fact that they were playing fairly dysfunctionally but and the and the same goes for for this they can they can win a playoff series they they can win uh in the first round probably against any team but but certainly they have decent chances to win uh you know if they end up against uh, denver or if they end up you, against um what do you got dave you were saying you were saying that they're not going to change your mind about who they are, and I, I kind of agree with you to a certain uh, to a certain extent. It's just we have a we have a much larger data. We don't point know who they point. are we, though. We have because we haven't seen them at full the strength against like. anybody. Well, yes, but I I also think that the data point that we got against the Clippers last year is useful because it's still talent. It they didn't have chemistry, but the Clippers still had talent, and the Mavs show they could play with talent. Right, they could play up against superior talent which they were able to do we don't uh, and, maybe we don't but, know what this team is for a if, if it's healthy for a seven game series we don't know what if they're is clicking it? on all cylinders right. like how high their highs are i still i think the clippers are way better this year in, in numerous ways oh for sure for and sure. so I, I don't know like the clippers are not the matchup that it was for them last year and, i mean i was confident that the mavs could could make it a six or seven game series because I knew the Clippers had issues. This year's they they just don't have those problems. So being the sixth seed is not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I don't necessarily have a ton of confidence in what happens at first in that first round. I mean, yeah, because I don't like their chances against the, against the Clippers. Uh, they haven't played Phoenix well in years, like years now. Um, so we could sit here and say Denver maybe because Denver's down Jamal, but you know, I don't know. It's I don't think there's a ton left to learn on a macro level. I do think at this point we're looking for micro level things that might change stuff. And the biggest thing that comes to mind on that front, which we saw on Saturday, was Dwight Powell looking like Dwight Powell from two years ago, uh, as you know, as to, to be an understatement. And you know, Tim and I are, are soccer people as well. Dave, are you a soccer person? Yeah, sure. Okay, so there's a phrase in soccer which uh, it, it's basically cover for any time a a team probably makes fewer signings or moves than they should. And they have a guy that they haven't been using, but he suddenly comes back from an injury or he comes off the end of the bench and plays well. And it's always a, oh, it's like a new signing. They say that all the time. It's like a new signing after a bench. I thought you were going to say this, a player finally comes good, which is a... <laughs> no, 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 no. That's another expression they use. Though. We've seen we've seen Dwight Powell come good, though. Uh, we, we know he can come good. But in this case, it's a it felt like watching him against L.A. It felt a little of that vibe because... Uh, NBA, you know, NBA.com released a new fancy stat last week that Luka Doncic is the most double player in the entire NBA, which, you know, I, I don't think would shock us. If you were to guess where he would fall, I think we'd probably guess in the top three or four anecdotally regardless. Uh, but now that you are going to see more and more teams continue to do that, and especially trying to double him high, if you have Dwight Powell looking like 
Grim Rudder, badass Dwight Powell again, there are a lot of ways that could open up the offense that we haven't seen a lot of this year other than, you know, the nights where Willie Cauley-Stein looks good, which isn't something that could dependably be counted on. Uh, I guess the question for you guys is, A, how much were you buying that is something of a real jumping off point versus a one-night anomaly against Andre Drummond? Or B, if you do think some segment of this is real, does this meaningfully raise the ceiling at all in a playoff series or not so much? I, I think it's pretty obvious how I feel about it, so I won't go very long here. Um, this is kind of how guys coming back from injury, this is kind of how it works. You know, he he's rounded himself into better shape. He's starting to recover. So he's going to have more games where he starts to look more normal. I do think next year, like these are great signs for next season for him. But I wouldn't expect this to be just, okay, hey, this is now Dwight Powell that we've got for the next, you know, 10 games of the regular season and for the playoffs. I would not expect that at all. The Andre Drummond factor cannot be overstated because Andre Drummond is is pretty awful. And in particular, because of the way that Luca attracts the defense, right? Like Dwight Powell ate for the reasons that you mentioned and because it was Andre Drummond trying to cover for that. So, you know, there were multiple factors at play, but I I do I do agree with you that like this is a positive sign because these are really the first two games where I thought he did kind of look like he had recovered that step to a certain degree. That second jump, which is the thing that doesn't get talked about enough with most players who are great at it, but that was the thing that really separated him as a hustle guy was that second jump. And I, I thought it looked better in the last couple of weeks. It's looked improved, but in particular against Andre Drummond, where he just looks so much better, you know, because Andre Drummond was just so bad. Um, yeah. I, I, I just worry about putting too much stock into that. Even if he instantly, became the Dwight Powell he was, let's say, December 2018, right before the injury. You mm-hmm. know, he's still the seventh or eighth best player on this team. Uh, I think he's still the fourth best big. Yeah. Yeah. Behind, so, do you have Kali Stein ahead of him? I have I have Kali Stein ahead of him, yeah. Because really, I think what Kali Stein is able... Here. Yeah, I think what he's able to do, uh, in particular as a role man, like, I mean, he, Willie Kali Stein has had a good season. And, and, and this is a follow-up on last year. He just fits what they do perfectly. Now, Dwight Powell at, at full strength, I think, is a better player. But this year, for sure, ooh, I don't know. I think Collie Stein's been better than Dwight Powell was the last season before he got hurt. I would put a, I would put a healthy Powell over, over Collie Stein. Um, Collie Stein does more. He's a better defensive player. Way better. Way better defensively. I, I think that, that that's the – if – you know, and we're we're debating something, and that's a, a hypothetical. And the B, third and fourth truly, bigs. truly does not matter. Um, you know, like this is this is this is such a if they're choosing between one April. of those two guys to start in the playoffs, there are like uh, things know, have gone. There horrible. are bigger problems, right? Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> not sure. a good thing. So, so, yeah. so at one point, one of you guys said, you know, does this raise the ceiling? I mean, does any seventh or eighth best player on a team raise the ceiling? I guess they can in a, in a very small way. I think that it does. It is really important to have a really high level rim runner uh, to pair with Luca when he is getting doubles thrown at him as aggressively as teams are ought to do. That that's good. That's important. It, it, honestly, if 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 Powell raises the ceiling at all, it, it's that he raises Luca's ceiling. It, it's that that he allows him to be you know 
just more functional. There, there's so much more of his skill set that he can unlock if he has someone he can trust to fire the ball to. You know, nobody on the team, not Kali Stein, nobody else catches the ball and then creates space while moving towards the rim as well as Powell does. Like that, that is his absolute elite skill. That's why he, you know, I, I think has has graded out as like a 92nd, 95th percentile rim runner for multiple seasons in a row headed into, uh, you know, before his injury. And so, that's valuable to have. It, it definitely, it definitely will help Luca in in settings. Pal is so limited, very limited in a lot of ways. You know, I, he's not going to play thirty minutes in a playoff game. I would not, uh, you know, wager in in any means. And if he is, like we were saying, that's a problem. Like that's that that means things have gone poorly. So it, it's good. It's good. You know, I, I think that everybody, you know, j- just from a human level, it's it's fantastic to to see him have games like that because Achilles injuries suck. They're they're just shitty injuries and they're very hard to come back from. And I am, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy for him. He he is uh, someone I've described as a embodiment of the Dirk Nowitzki culture and ethic and what this team tries to be. Uh, he is someone who is always working and, and grinding, and and I do think that they truly value him uh, as a as a as a person around their organization who represents those values. And the fact that you know he finally looks like a, a functional player who is is close to what what he was. Maybe maybe he won't be as a consistent. You know, certainly I, I think in in some ways that. You know, he's he's probably never going to get back to 100% of the, of the player he was. But, you know, if, if he's approaching 90, 95%, um, if he's approaching 85%, I think that there, there's value to have that on the roster. And I think that could be a, a important chip or important card that Carl, uh, who is a, you know, plays, you know, view, does very much view uh playoff series as as a poker game or as some other you know just high level strategic back and forth maneuvering with an opposing coach that's a good thing for carlisle to be able to use and and for luca you know to to have that outlet uh literally that outlet uh you know cutting to the rim so those are all good things do they change how i feel about the mavericks and the macro sense no you know again nothing nothing at this point will uh but but it's good it's good and i i I think it's it's worth noting that that we should be very happy that you know happy for pal and and happy that he was able to to have those games and 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 show that that he's already to to uh you know already this this quickly just like 14 months after his injury and his surgery uh looking like the player he is this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know who played against Sacramento? Josh Green. He got a he got a few minutes, and me and Mike Pellucci. Mike, you uh, you have some bones to pick. 
mean, it's, I feel like the ongoing narrative about Josh Green, and I should know for the record, I I was a Josh Green guy on draft night. That was the dude who I thought made the most sense for them out of that cluster of wings. I thought they were graded fairly similarly, right? Um, but I feel like the longer the season has gone, there's a certain, particularly because Sadiq Bay and Desmond Bain have played as well as they have, there has been a conversation which goes something like this. They have played well, therefore Josh Green is a bust. They have done well, therefore the Mavericks screwed up by taking Josh Green. And it is driving me insane because for a variety of reasons, right? Uh, but we'll start, I mean, literally, I, 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 could, I could list them and number them. But the first place to start with this is, I can't overstate this enough, Des Bain was a four-year college player who turns 23 in a couple months. Sadiq Bey is a two-year guy who is an older two-year guy. He turned 22 already. He played at Role Player U, as I believe Dave Dufour has been fond of saying. Um, uh, Josh Green was a one-year college guy in a situation in Arizona that has kind of gone off the rails the last couple of years. The minute you take Josh Green and not those two guys, you are accepting that this is going to be a longer learning curve. And that's especially true at a year where there is no summer league. There is no real camp. You just kind of get thrown into this mix. So... It's starting to drive me a little crazy when I'm hearing this and it's like, oh, the, the decision's already, you know, it's already been written uh, that Josh Green has automatically failed. It, nobody, I feel like the start of the year was necessarily expecting Josh Green to play well. It is just now because Des Bain and Sadiq Bay have played and contributed and it should be noted worse situations than what Dallas is right now. That is starting to re- reflect on the Josh Green pick when in reality, it's kind of like, if you are judging this, you know, four months into the weirdest season ever off a one-and-done college kid who we knew was raw, I don't know what to tell you. And I hate to be that guy who says, give it time, but like, you need to give it two or three years, especially, you know. It sounds like you don't hate to be that guy. It's the draft, though, right? Like, every single draft pick, you you can't judge it that season. Now, I will say, I am in that chorus that thinks Desmond Bain or Sadiq Bey would have been better picks because of the position that you're in with Luka Doncic. You had the two draft picks that were kind of in the same area. So you could have taken a swing on a guy and also taken a safe guy. I, look, I am I like the draft. I, I just don't think that good teams necessarily should be drafting uh, for a high ceiling. If you, if you want to try, if you want to try to be like a playoff contender this year, you could have gone with one of those guys that are ready to be NBA rotation role players. Now, look, draft capital being what it is, I totally understand that game. Uh, I just personally would like to see teams draft players that you know are ready to play today, especially if you're not a lottery team. I mean, this is a team that was hoping to win a playoff series this year, and I just think that Sadiq Bey and Desmond Bain help you now and the next three years. I don't know if Josh Green helps you at any point in the next three years. Well, the obvious the obvious thing here is that if the Mavericks had a full functioning rotation, if they had veterans above Green that were ready to step in and play, this would not. Then be you good. can do it, and it's, it doesn't right. matter. And, and so a lot, I think. Then, <laughs> then you're Denver. Then you're Denver, and you have R.J. Hampton, who looks awesome, right. but he never plays because it, you know he's a project. So, so my point is that that Josh Green has Josh Green has been victimized by the Mavericks' lack of team building and the the lack of bringing in more depth, and because he is the player that you know when the team is struggling, when they clearly need some sort of player off the bench to come in and and make an impact, when they clearly are are light on perimeter defense, when when they need another wing out there, 
Um, the fact that Josh Green isn't ready is used against him. It's, you know, that's unfair. It's not, it, that is not Josh Green's fault, but I understand how some of the criticism of him is really a, a criticism of the front office, is really a criticism of this team, uh, not really. I mean, we've said it. It's just not not changing, not changing in a couple of years. So, it's. I think it's an indictment in that way. Um, you know, as for Josh himself, you know, I, I've seen signs of him understanding basketball to a a good level. You know, I think he makes smart passes, and I think a player who makes smart passes, uh, I think that's a good sign. I think I think that is a a really good positive encouragement that you know, if if you have that feel for the game, then. You know the other stuff that takes a little bit a little bit longer to develop. Uh, jump shooting, uh, the Mavericks have proven they can develop uh, medi- you know bad jump shooters into mediocre ones, into average ones. Um, you know we've we've seen that with Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, you know I think I absolutely think that's something that that is possible with Josh Green. Um, I am a slightly down on his defense just because he's he's not really a tall guy. He's not a wing like he is, but, but neither he's, he's six five. He's six, so he's better at six five and a half of the combine, right? Des Bain is six five. If you know Sadiq Bay is a but little Des Bain longer. has really short arms. So yeah, I mean, so we're not drafting Des Bain necessarily to sit there and say he's a defensive answer too. I mean, right. I think Dave's point, sure, but but Des Bain is the much better shooter, and, and that's he is, he is. Yeah. I mean, he, here's where I come from, right? And I understand. I, I think to me, this is two two ways to value the draft, and I don't think either are you know is necessarily wrong because I think where Dave is coming from about hey. This team is good. Take a guaranteed role player. Just get somebody who can help you. I totally get that. My thought process with why I like Green was in the bigger picture, if this team is going to be contending, is Sadiq Bey or Des Bain really big picture when you are trying to win a title? They're rotation guys, right? Are we sitting there saying that they're monster ceiling raisers? I don't think Josh Green is either, but what I do think Josh Green is, he's a better athlete than either guy. And if Josh Green develops defensively, you can use him in a way you can't use one of the other two. And that's especially relevant given what we just talked about. This team can't guard anybody on the perimeter. They are looking at a guy, Josh Green, and they're saying, you know what? If he he develops defensively, and we know that he shows those instincts, he has that stuff that was scouted about him, he has some physicality, the ceiling of that skill for what this team needs long-term, if you compare a jump shot with that, because you know he can go down the court and run the break, right? I mean, the guy can throw down in transition. Luca can make that work. I see from their perspective saying, hey, this is the best pick we might get in a few years. Why not take a swing on a guy who, if this breaks right as a perimeter defender, can raise the ceiling a bit? Now, if there is a criticism of that strategy, uh, and this is where I think there would be valid critique, it is you better develop him. And are you sure that this coaching staff will do that? Because if they can't or if they don't show the patience to get him minutes, and there have been times where they could have played him. When guys are sitting out or it's garbage time or it's late in the game, they could throw him out there for more minutes than they have. If you don't think that this coaching staff can or is showing the priority to develop him, then yes, that is a failure of this front office or the coaching staff or some larger form of organizational communication because one side has in their head, let's take the ceiling guy, and the other side isn't doing the legwork to make that work. In which case, yes, you should take the safer thing. But if everybody's on the same page and from the outside, we kind of have to just hope that they are because it's not like any of us really know. You sort of have to assume that they might be. I see the logic of, hey, let's take the higher ceiling guy defensively because we've seen around the league. Yes, these are different body type guys, but DeAndre Hunter was nothing last year. And look at DeAndre Hunter now. Mikel Bridges took a giant leap in year three. Hell, Dorian Finney-Smith is a dude who's gradually taken steps over time. 
even the guys who are defensive-oriented prospects can develop at a slower pace. So I get the logic. I just think it's a little, you know, I think Tim's right that people are blaming, putting organizational failures on this 19-year-old, or sorry, 20-year-old now rookie, which is a little unfair. But my position is just, hey, it was always going to be a longer track record or longer learning curve, a longer track of development with this guy. Just because two other dudes in more situations are playing better doesn't necessarily mean this is a failure, especially if you knew all along this was going to have to be a longer game pick. And he's definitely going to oh, be yeah, a good yeah, defender. Yeah. And he projects as that. It's it's the it's just I I do not think that he has the 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 heights of of his ceiling are not as high to warrant his selection over those two players who have already proven themselves offensively and are you know solid defenders. Even you know, yeah, I think Green does have a higher defensive ceiling. I I just think that the most valuable wing three and D defenders are guys that ultimately are going to be able to switch onto big men. And I don't think he's ever going to be able to do that consistently or well. And I don't think any of the other three were, but yeah, no. And I'm not, I'm not saying that those other two were able to do that other either, but they already have proven a offensive uh, acumen that I'm not sure that Josh green is going to reach. You know, I I think at best that, that Josh green, you know, I, I, uh, maybe maybe you know i don't know i think they're already both better shooters than him and i don't yeah. ever see that level of shooting from josh green um now you do have a more flexibility because luca is 6'8 he's a guard he's your you know primary creator you're not you're not pairing josh green with you know kimba walker and saying all right well we have a 6-1 and a 6-5 player you know, we really need to have the rest of the players, you know, at, at more switchable. You, you have some more flexibility where you could get a guard on the floor and you get Josh Green on the floor and you get Luca on the floor. And, you know, that can be your one, two, three on a on a important line, you know, starting lineup for against a playoff team or, you know, just any lineup. But I just I just think that the defensive skill specifically that is so valuable at this point in the NBA at this point with with the way modern inf- uh, offenses work and the way you have to defend them is a player that is able to switch on to six eight six ten players onto big men onto you know ball carrying you know ball handling wings and I just worry I just worry you know maybe maybe I'm proven wrong maybe maybe he's a Marcus Smart type who just plays way above his his size. Um, I'm just a little worried that that I, I'm not sure he's going to do that, and and because he's not able to do that, and because he doesn't have that specific type of de- defensive upside, even though he will be, he should be, and will be, I think, a very good defender. I, I just worry that you know the upside wasn't wasn't actually there when when you kind of look at the other two players and what they've been able to do. Again, um, I don't know if he's a bust or not because we haven't even finished his first season. Yeah, yeah. So we're definitely not saying that. I, I, I yeah. do want to make yeah. that clear. I don't think he. No, but I don't think anybody just that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 And it's kind yeah, of yeah. yeah, it's getting out there. I mean, I do think yeah, yeah the height thing. People are doing is, it about a James Wiseman. You know, I, I think that's just what people do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Once again, yeah. This is this. We're talking about the high degree of nuance. This is this is about in retrospect, would it have made more sense to take one of the other two players? Um, it's, I thought it's it not. Took, I mean, you know how I felt. I, I, I would have taken like, Desmond. Tim Bain. got tired of me saying it. So, and honestly, it looks like all three of us were wrong. And Sadiq Bay might have actually been the best selection of those three. Shut up! Bay was my guy. Bay was my guy. Who so. wanted Sadiq Bay the whole time and mm-hmm. uh, is trying to take his victory lap now? Um, yeah, I mean, I do think like there is another way. If he can't guard bigs, he can't switch on to bigs, but he could switch onto ones because clearly they tried to do that with Dorian Finney Smith. I mean, look. Uh, it's not like anywhere on this team is defensively sound right now, but you could absolutely add pick and roll, roll ball handlers high up on the list of things they need to find a solution for. I'm not saying Josh Green can be that guy, but that is another 
avenue of if you can't switch them on a bigs, but you can have them spend time on pick and roll ball handlers, that would work for this team in a big way too. I think there are a lot of ways he could tap into defensive value. Uh, we just have to see how the offensive game develops. Yeah. Does he, do you think that he plays more than, let's say, 20 minutes in a playoff game in the next uh, next two seasons? No. I'm going to say no. I, I think it's a three-year learning curve. And I'm, yeah, I think, I think it's and at I least mean, three maybe years if that, And if that's my answer, then like I totally get if your perspective is that, that this was not the right pick because they can't wait three years of Don Chichero. That right. That's a valuable argument to make, and I get it. I also, though, at the same time, it's kind of like, all right, even if you had Desmond Bain, is that really going to raise your ceiling that much? Like, if, if, you, if you're depending on either one of them to meaningfully change your fortunes right now, I mean, I know you're looking at me like that. So Would Desmond Bain start? Would Sadiq Bay start? I, I think that there's a high likelihood that one of those guys would have at least started double digits this year. That would do With more. The they shooting? shoot a big picture. I mean, three years down the road, when it's put up or shut up time, are they? What are they really going to be doing? I don't know. I mean, I, I saw this team with a with a fantastic shooter who didn't add a lot of defensive value in last year's playoffs. His name is Seth Curry. He had one great game against the Clippers and couldn't stay on the floor otherwise in a meaningful capacity. So I don't know. Like. And granted, I mean, Dez is a, a better defender could hold his own. He's not an impact defender, but he's not going to be a liability. But, like, I don't know. It's, I guess for me, I, if if by year three we're not seeing with Green, then I think it's it's clearly a problem. But for me, I think if it's going to happen, it's going to take a couple of years. And at that point, in two years' time, in the, or three, you know, not this year, not next year, down the road, he's 22 that postseason. He's still pretty damn young at that point. If it works at that timeline, that to me is not a failure. If at age 22 – Josh Green is the player you thought he'd be. Because then he is at age 22. Sidney well, Bay is 22 right now. Des Baines will be 23 in June. Okay. So let's let's see what happens. I think I think we've uh we've topped out on on Josh Green talk. I think uh, we have. the Josh Green discourse is out of control. Wild. It's too high. Wild. There's too much of it. Need more Tom Green discourse. That's what Do we know? that is. Gerald Green. <laughs> Tim, you know, Tim, as the as the young on this podcast, do you know who Tom Green is? What's your Tom Green knowledge, Tim? Because Dave and I know who Tom Green is. As far as I know, does not exist. Much like other Mavericks podcasts don't exist. I, I just yeah. don't think that a person named Tom Green has ever existed. That just seems salacious, false. Like you're trying to pull one. You know on that me. thing that everyone does now on the internet, where they they try to be funny with the like videos and. Everyone wants to be famous. Tom it's Green might have been the first guy to actually kind of pull that stuff off. <laughs> I mean, okay. he was really the forebear in a lot of ways to like, I mean, a little like. Oh, that's a whole another podcast. Like it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we, talking we, about how real time. world ruined the world. Oh, <laughs> Tom, Tom, Tom Green is the, the TikTok founder is what I'm taking away from this. And I will uh, I'll take that to my grave. All right. We're wrapping up basketball talk. We just wanted to talk uh, briefly. Uh, we before we go, we wanted to we want to send some love to friend of the pod, friend of all three of us, uh, friend of a lot of Mavs fans, the great Jonathan Jarks over at the Ringer. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer, as he announced on Twitter the other day. Uh, John covers the NBA at large, but he is a Dallas guy. He is somebody who, if you follow the Mavs, you know that John is really a Mavs fan. Um, just an awesome dude, you know. I mean, there's uh, media is a small world, uh, but. And, you know, it, especially when you're in a certain city or a certain region, you know, a lot of people, um, John is someone who we all know we've all been friends with because he's just, a he's not just a talented guy. He's a good friend. He's somebody who cares about the people around him. He's 
you know, he's uh, the epitome of a family guy. He has a wife and a one-year-old son. Um, you know, we're we're all pulling for him. We're thinking of you, buddy. And we look forward to talking some hoops with you soon. Because I know, you know, even as he's fighting this thing, he's be watching plenty of basketball like always. Is he be thinking the same usual smart Jonathan Sharks math thoughts and basketball yeah. thoughts? Well, yeah, he's got to get those takes off. Absolutely. That's that's what we need. Yeah, I've I've known him through through SB Nation and, and back at Mavs Moneyball, he was he was a uh, full time writing for for SB Nation, but you know still was such a Mavs guy that every once in a while he would just you know just had a had an article had a column he needed to get out there and you know you, they're so good we were just like yeah dude whenever literally whenever you know yeah hop in our our email and you know and he would uh he'd always have players that he was just insanely high on and sometimes he was like so perfectly right and he'll admit that sometimes he was very off i think uh huge kj mcdaniels fan oh. um if uh if, if i'm remembering right and and so yeah we've uh yeah we, we i've i've known uh charles going back a back a while and so you know right now he doesn't uh he's not asking for anything except uh some some thoughts and and some prayers if 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 that's something that uh that you uh feel inclined to do and, and send his way uh, but but yeah, we just wanted to to acknowledge that and, and and say that that certainly we're we're uh we're thinking of him and and that uh that we're rooting for him and, and all that all that stuff. So with that, uh, we'll uh, we'll see you guys next week with uh with some more Mavericks discussions. Probably no Josh Green um, or Tom Green, but uh but we'll see you guys then. Future four-time MVP. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.